especially when you go off, you do have to be selfish. And um, the people around you, you know, your family, your friends, your sports system, you got to have people who understand that because sometimes it is a little lonely for them and they're not getting everything they need. One of my favorite stories about this idea of selfishness in professional golf comes from the Ryder Cup, which is a little strange, I grant you, because the Ryder Cup is supposed to be one of the times every other year when golf becomes a team sport, when self-interest is put aside for the greater good. But in the mid-2000s, the American team was in a very bad place in the Ryder Cup. They lost three in a row in 04 and 06. It was by these historic and frankly embarrassing margins. And the man responsible for changing it all in 2008 was the new captain, Paul Azinger. Now, Azinger was a Ryder Cup savant. He loved it. Spent a lot of time thinking about it, a lot of time talking about it, in particular with his friends Dave Stockton, Lanny Watkins, Payne Stewart before he passed away. He's very much an out-of-the-box thinker. And one of the big problems he identified was that everyone expected the Americans to come together, to have this kumbaya sense of team unity, this collective passion that the Europeans had, or at least that the Europeans seemed to have. And it wasn't happening. I believe it's a razor-thin edge between winning and losing Ryder Cups. And Europe just seems to have that intangible that has been able to shift them. Even when they come in with lesser teams, they're able to win. So what do you do? Because this is becoming a really, really big problem. Well, the answer Aisner came up with is a little paradoxical, a little strange. One day he was on his couch channel surfing and he came across a documentary on the Navy SEALs. And the detail that struck him as he was watching was how when the SEALs train, they do so in small groups. We're not talking big units. We're talking six guys, four guys. Nazinger watched that and he thought, well, Eureka. Maybe asking 12 golfers to form an immediate bond over one weekend in an individual sport that's geared towards selfishness, that rewards selfishness, where most of the time these guys are competing against each other, is a bad idea. Maybe it's a ridiculous idea. Maybe the answer is to keep them in smaller groups, just like the SEALs, keep them separated. And thus the idea of pods was born. And if you know anything about your Ryder Cup history, you know that pods were a big part of Azinger's success in winning that 2008 Ryder Cup. And for the first time this century, it's the USA's Cup. Azinger and his 12 players, all American heroes. Well, let's fast forward to the Whistling Straits Ryder Cup last fall. Steve Stricker took it even further as captain. Not only did he utilize the pod concept, but he cut down on the team events. We're talking about the huge dinners, the public appearances, uh, the rah-rah speeches, the long team meetings. And by the way, we should say he got a big assist from COVID-19 there. But he didn't like any of that when he was playing, so why would he do it as captain? His message to his guys was simple. If you take a nap during a normal tournament, take a nap here. If you work out at a certain time, you eat dinner at a certain time, do the same thing and we're going to make it easy for you. So essentially what the best American Ryder Cup captains have discovered is that in order to have the most successful results as a team, they have to stop forcing the team elements. That's the strange epiphany that took decades to arrive at. Professional golfers are selfish creatures. Let them be who they are. I'm Shane Ryan, this is Local Knowledge, and in this episode we're examining this concept of selfishness in the game of professional golf. 
What does it mean to be selfish? Is it true what you sometimes hear that golfers have to be selfish to be successful? And if it's necessary, why is it necessary? I asked Trevor Immelman, former Masters champion, captain of the international team at this year's President's Cup, do you have to be selfish to be great? And as you're going to hear, he was pretty emphatic. 100%. 100%. You have to enjoy spending time on your own. You have to be completely single-minded and radar-focused. And yeah, at times you have to be extremely, extremely selfish. And I've been, I was very fortunate and still am fortunate um, that, you know, I met my wife when we were in high school. We started dating in high school. And she has just been the most incredible partner from that standpoint. She understood that. And even as we started having children, uh, she understood exactly how to manage that. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you got to have some of that. If you want to get to elite level, you got to have some of that. Immelman is such an intelligent and introspective and well-spoken guy that I felt okay asking him the next question, which was, all right, your wife gets it. She knew what she was getting into, but is there any guilt on your end, even though you're not necessarily breaking any promises? Here's Immelman again. Absolutely. And looking back now, you know, now I'm on the other side and I'm doing a bit more of what you're doing. Yeah. I look back and go, eesh, I wish I'd handle a few situations differently yeah. with a lot of people, not just my loved ones and family, but with a lot of people. But in that moment, in a lot of ways, it's just survival. Mm-hmm. And the mental aspect of the game and being at elite level is such a delicate balance that you have to be extremely guarded at times. Yeah to make sure that you're managing that. I thought that was pretty profound, both in the idea that, yes, there are things that still don't sit well with him, but that when he thinks about how difficult it was and how precarious a golf career can be, he's not sure how it could have been any different. Golfers are selfish. They have to be. I think in an individual sport, you've got to be considered about what you're doing and what you're doing and being important. That's why Barbara was so important. She understood that. She understood that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't yield that situation. I had, I had to, I had, to, I had, to, had to be my dominant thing while I was, while I was trying to participate. So let's talk about the why here. Why does a professional golfer have to be selfish? For me, this is pretty simple, and you don't need a degree in psychology or human behavior to get it. The life of a golfer is, on some fundamental level, about time. You need time to practice to get good, and once you're good, you need time to keep practicing to stay good. If you're on the PGA Tour, you're going to be traveling a lot. That eats at your time. And while a few players do get to travel with their families, many don't, and many who do eventually stop doing it once their kids have to be in school. Yes, there is great money to be made, but there's never really any job security, and it can all go away very quickly to those who aren't working to preserve it. This is cutthroat in its own way. And a player who can't take control of his time and his personal path is going to find it impossible to succeed on the absolute highest level. A lot of this stuff comes down to tough choices. Maybe you don't see your family as much as you'd like. Maybe you miss a lot of your children's milestones. Maybe you have to fire someone on your team. It's just not working anymore. And maybe that someone is a personal friend. Maybe you can't be fully open to the media because it's too much of a time commitment. 
Maybe you'll have to tell your agent to go easy on the endorsement deals because it's eating up your hours. Maybe you have to tell a group of kids that you can't sign their autographs because it is time to work. You get the idea. And this stuff is not theoretical. It happens to every player. It happens every day. And if you're a professional golfer and you can't handle that, well, you might be in the wrong business. Here's Justin Thomas. It's, it's, a, it's a very selfish sport. And it's a very, I mean, really anything. Has it. it's, it's just the sense of, in life, you have to do a lot of things over the course of your entire life that it's like, okay, I maybe don't want to do this, but it's just like I have to, whether right. it's whatever it is. But if, depending on, I guess, how you feel about your career or, or how serious you are about it, you have to make some selfish decisions. I mean, it's, you could argue a caddy, a coach. I mean, that, that's, yeah, I don't want to maybe hurt this, this coach's feelings. It would be a great friendship, whatever. But if it's what I need to do to become better, then that's a selfish decision. Um, if it's like, hey, I want to have five times as much worth than I have right now, maybe I'll go do this. Like, that's a selfish decision. But it's not... Everybody, like you can, you can make those decisions, and, and they're all all selfish decisions are different. But um, you definitely have to have some of that mindset in the sport. Jordan Spieth brought up an aspect of this within the golf world that I had not even thought about, and that's where you actually play. You could talk about tournament directors. Where I'm like, hey, I want to play there. I can't do it. And it's not best for me. I love the tournament. Thank you for wanting me to come. I can't do it. Um, that's not just the tournament director, it's fans you have in the area, you know, kids that were looking forward to you coming there. Like that, that happens, but you know, you can't dwell on that um, because you got to do what's best for you. I think what can be difficult to understand for those of us who are not professional golfers is that these are people whose lives ultimately and totally revolve around them. You or I might be constantly thinking of our family or our friends and, you know, we're not the center of our own universe necessarily. But for the golfers, almost every interaction they have with the media, with fans, with sponsors is about them and stems from their skill at golf. When a professional golfer is in public, he is likely to be the center of attention. And every decision is about this singular goal of being very, very good at a sport and making money off of your talent. So it becomes second nature in ways that, again, those of us who aren't the star of our particular worlds would be hard-pressed to understand. What's interesting, though, is that often outside of the course, what endears certain players to us is the ways that they deviate from what we might consider textbook player behavior, textbook selfishness. What does this win in this scene mean to you? Yeah, it's... Um... It's incredible. Uh, yeah, this is a day I'll remember for a long, long time. Uh, 21st PGA Tour win, uh, one more than someone else. Uh, that gave me a little bit of extra incentive today, and um, happy to get it done. Rory McIlroy is a good example. We've seen him sort of carry the banner for the PGA Tour, uh, especially this year, and give these very honest answers uh, about live golf and, and all those current issues cropping up. But long before that, he was always one of the more thoughtful people to interview in the game. And along with his obvious great skill, this pretty much ensured that he was always in the news in some way, at least in the, in the golf media landscape. But here's the question. Was it good for him? Paul McGinley, the Golf Channel commentator and former Ryder Cup captain, former player, doesn't think so. In an interview in 2020 and this was just two days before the Players' Championship was canceled because of the coronavirus, 
he said this. And I should say I've removed a few expletives, by the way. And you should also note that when he says you guys, he's referring to the media. So Paul McGinley said, Rory's a talker, too. Does that help him all the time? I don't think so. You guys love it. You guys tell him how great he is because he gives you lots of content. But does it help his competitiveness? Does it help competitiveness this week? I saw the headline in the paper today. Rory says America is behind in the coronavirus. Rory, why are you talking about the coronavirus? You're here to win the TPC. You've had seven top fives in a row. Last three times you've gone out, your stroke average is 73 and a half. Fix that. Forget about the coronavirus. That's not your issue. What McGinley's really saying here is Rory should be more selfish with his time. He should be less open. And the implication is that it's not helping him be the best golfer that he can be. Now, Rory might disagree with this. I'm not saying McGinley is right. Rory has said in the past that, hey, this is my personality. And in fact, this year, he's mentioned several times that speaking out about Liv has been good for him. And certainly his play seems to back that up. But whether McGinley's right or not, it's an interesting example of how every little decision in your life, even things that don't seem related to golf, can impact your golf. And if you're not being selfish, everything you do in life can seep into your performance. Let's talk about performance. When I asked Sebastian Munoz whether it was an advantage to be selfish, he brought it right back to the golf course. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do believe you, you have to. You know, it's an individual sport. It's a sport that it only matters you and right there at the moment. So yeah. I do believe being selfish, it's... It can guide. It can, it can help you. Uh, being, but I mean, being kind is not, it's not, it's not a bad thing either. But at the moment, at the moment, especially match play, when you have to kill the other guy, you have to, you know, like step on his throat. Yeah. It's better to be selfish and like a little more egocentrical. I think. Pretty interesting that a few days after this interview, Munoz went out and beat Scotty Scheffler, the world number one in Sunday singles at the Presidents Cup. Okay, so far we've heard only from those who agree with the premise that you do have to be selfish in order to excel. However, that was not universal. I spoke with Max Homa, who didn't like the word itself, selfish, because he took it to be a pretty negative word. Selfish has like a negative connotation. Okay. I understand maybe you've got to do your own thing at times. But something about the selfish thing, like here, I've heard some people say that, and I think that they mean that they can be, um, I guess, inconsiderate in a way to other people's time. I would still like it to be a team feel. Uh, you know, my caddies get tired or something, or my coach wants to do X, and I want to do something, I would like to at least consider all the options. I'm not saying that's what everybody means by selfish, but sometimes that's how I do it. So for Homa, you see he's trying to preserve a sense of himself as a considerate human being. And for him to admit that he's quote-unquote selfish is essentially saying he's sacrificed some of that humanity. The most he would concede is that, yes, sometimes you do have to be selfish with your time. But of course, those who follow Max Homa understand he's cut from a little bit of a different cloth than your average tour pro. So... This kind of perspective maybe isn't that surprising coming from him. In 2014, I interviewed a lot of American golfers throughout the course of the PGA Tour season. And one thing I found is that this concept of selfishness goes together pretty closely, pretty hand-in-hand -hand with self-reliance. And what I mean by that is that to get to the professional level, in a lot of cases, a player is already 
a loner by their very nature. I mean, imagine the kind of kid who wants to be by himself hitting balls on the range for hours at a time. That's pretty unusual to be okay with that kind of solitude. In many cases, these guys have already made enormous sacrifices and from a very young age. Over and over, I heard from professional golfers things like, I never really had friends as a kid, never had a girlfriend, never went out to parties. There's a single-mindedness there that is, to put it mildly, unique. Here's what Tom Kim, the 20-year-old who is so popular at the President's Cup for the international team, had to say about that. I traveled a lot as a kid. And, um, turning pro at age 15 was, was a lot of different from what other guys do. And teenage years is where a lot of people would say, you know, that's where you have fun and you enjoy a lot of things. But you know, I turned professional and I didn't really have a life outside of golf. And, and one other interesting phenomenon is that while all PGA Tour players are good athletes, there were things about team sports that bothered a lot of them, even as kids. Brian Harmon, for one, had this to say. He said, this is going to sound selfish, but being a pitcher in Little League, I'd get out there and pitch four or five scoreless innings, and they'd score a run, and we'd lose one nothing or something, and I hated that. In golf, the better you play, the higher you finish. You don't really have to depend on anybody else. You just got to do your own thing. And I thought, yeah, that sounds very attractive to me. It's interesting that he finds it attractive, isn't it? A lot of people would take comfort in the team environment, enjoy the fact that there's shared accountability there and collaboration, and accept the things that they couldn't control. Not Armin. He wanted to be master of the situation. He was by no means unique in that quality. Here's something Bubba Watson said to Scott Michaud of the Augusta Chronicle that has a lot of the same echoes. My dad wanted me to play baseball, but you can play baseball, whatever position you are, you can play with no errors, bat a thousand, and go five for five that game and lose the game. Why? Or you can throw perfect pitches, but you have a human being calling the strikes or balls. You see on TV when they have that little box, it doesn't match up sometimes. You can play a perfect game and lose it. But when it came to golf, it was straight me and only me. I win or lose. So you see, these guys aren't your average kids, and they don't grow up to be your average human beings. They want the responsibility on their shoulders. They don't want to depend on anyone else. And so it's not that big a leap to gear their lives and decisions mostly around themselves. And if that means making tough choices now and then, most of the time they're fully capable of it. Of course, the great irony here is that the better a player becomes, the more demands there will be on his time. So that this person who is a solitary kid who could spend hours by himself on the range, is now subject to media requests, corporate obligations, and everything else that comes with uh, what is, frankly, uh, a circus in tour life. All of which necessitates forming a team, and that team can include agents, coaches, the caddy, family, trainers, etc., etc. But a big part of the team's job, and this is particularly true of agents, is helping the player protect his time. In many cases, we won't mention any names here, but the agent behaves in a way that can be read as hostile when outsiders try to take some of the player's time. This is something I've run across plenty of times as a journalist. But the agent's being that bad guy so that the player doesn't have to. He's not going to either, you know, look like a jerk in front of everyone, but he's also not going to be forced to sacrifice the precious time it takes to stay great. 
In that way, every professional golfer ends up becoming a kind of CEO. In 2018, I wrote a post for Golf Digest about J.B. Holmes after the Farmers Insurance Open. And the talk of the weekend was how long he had taken to hit a shot on the 18th hole. Four minutes and ten seconds to be exact. May have iced his playing partner, Alex Norin, who was in the lead, but ended up losing the tournament in a playoff to Jason Day. Now, Holmes has a very interesting story. He comes from modest means in Kentucky, struggled with dyslexia, had a serious brain injury early in his career that required surgery. But all of that was lost in the backlash to what he had done on the 18th hole, which was indeed selfish when looked at a certain way. Holmes didn't apologize in the aftermath. And while it was happening, there wasn't any sense, at least any visible sense, that he knew he was doing something wrong. Holmes is someone who has always struck me as having more humility, uh, being sort of more normal than the average player. But at that moment, he was only thinking of himself. The long delay angered those who were watching. But what can be difficult to realize is that these moments of extreme selfishness are just the most visible manifestations of an attitude that every player has to possess. If you're not thinking about yourself, you won't last long. Local Knowledge is produced by Greg Gottfried, with editorial guidance from Sam Weinman. Our music today was Traveling Horse by Lobo Loco, and you can subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get podcasts. And hey, we welcome a review as well. Also, for expert picks, betting advice, and insights into all the action on the PGA Tour, please make sure you subscribe to The Loop Podcast. Have a good one.